Welcome to Faith Life Family. I'm Miss Ida Conti. Tonight, my returning guest is Michael Hitchborn, the president of the Lepanto Institute, who's always a wealth of information. Tonight, we'll be discussing the election results and what it means to us as Catholics. We'll also be discussing the month of November being the month for the Holy Souls in Purgatory. He has a new podcast and a new investigation, so we're going to hear all about it. Uh, but before we get to it, let me remind you that if you're watching us on Periscope or Facebook Live, and if you would like to join in the live chat room, please visit our website, which is fiatministrynetwork.tv forward slash live, and just click on the live chat, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, if you'd like to call in, plan on calling a little bit towards the end of the show, um, but that number is 440-536-3699. So now let's go ahead and bring Michael Hitchborn on the show. Welcome, Michael. Wonderful to to have you, you, as usual. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Good to see you again. Yes. Well, tonight we we have so much to talk about, but we've got to admit right off the bat, what a Lepanto moment we had this week, right? (laughs) For the U.S. For the U.S., yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's... it's like I told my listeners on our podcast this week, this wasn't so much about... God saying, I am giving you a Donald Trump, as he is saying, I am giving you mercy by not allowing somebody such as Hillary Clinton to be a tyrant over you. That's right. Exactly. I totally agree. Well, how about we start with a prayer of uh, Hail Mary, just to thank Our Lady for her obvious intercession in this, um, Our Lady of Victory, Our Lady of the Most Holy Rosary. Let's go ahead and begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, God. pray pray for for us us sinners, sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So the election of Donald Trump. Well, what should Catholics be thinking, in your opinion, at this point? Well, I think that Catholics right now need to be thinking in terms of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, when when uh, what St. Paul was saying is, is um, that there will come a time when people will say peace and security. And at that time, that's when disaster strikes. So we are not to be uh, complacent in this moment and say, well, now that our guy's in, it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. That's not the case. Now is the time to be extremely vigilant and to hold our electors to the, or, or our electorate to the fire. We have to hold their feet to the fire. You made promises. You said that you were going to take care of some certain things. Uh, we trust you. So it's time to get it done. And I'll tell you, the most important thing that we can do right now is to defund Planned Parenthood. And there are several reasons for this. Number one, Planned Parenthood is by far the largest political mechanism in place to make sure that pro-aborts and hard, hard left liberals remain in office. When you look at the Nancy Pelosi's and the Tim Kaines and the Joe Biden's and the John Kerry's, they are the ones who are getting a vast amount of money for their campaigns from Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood goes out and they do campaigning for these politicians. Oh, and by the way, the money that, that they got in order to run these campaigns comes from you guys. The taxpayers, because we're paying scads of money to Planned Parenthood, and Planned Parenthood then uses that money to turn around and start hiring people that are going to keep them in business. So, number one, defund Planned Parenthood. If we want to make sure that this becomes a pro-life country, that beast has got to be slain. 
Now, I remember seeing on Facebook because, you know, of course, that's my wonderful news source. I never get to watch the regular news. But I remember someone saying um, that there was a list of, you know, to do things in the first maybe 30 days. Donald Trump is president. Did you happen to see that list? And what were, you know, some of the main things, especially pro-life wise? Do you, no, do you- I, I haven't really seen the list yet. Um, I to be to be perfectly frank, uh, even though I have my degree in political science, I hate politics. Yeah. Um, I love the Catholic Church and I love morality and I will do everything to defend her. Part of that means that I have to look at politics, which galls me to no end. But um, the, the fact of the matter is we live in a political society and we have to pay attention. I have not yet seen the list, so I don't know specifically what is on the docket for the first 30 days. Yeah. I do hope that the defunding of Planned Parenthood is on that list. And if it isn't, we as Catholics need to make sure that it becomes a part of that list. And, and it's just as simple as being, uh, as my friend Sean Kenny said, you have to be like that little kid that says, so have you defunded Planned Parenthood yet? Have you defunded Planned Parenthood yet? Are you there yet? Are we there yet? You know, we have to be persistent. We have to be annoying. Um, but that's, that's how things get done in politics. Um, what specifically? I mean, should we be doing petitions? What do we do? I mean, you know, do as Catholics. call your call your congressman. Call your congressman. Just pick up the phone, make a phone call, and if you don't talk to him, leave a message. It's it's pretty simple. I mean, it's not it's not rocket science. It's just about being persistent and being a voice. Um, being that we live in a republic, or we're supposed to live in a republic, uh, our electors are supposed to do what they were elected to do. They are supposed to represent us uh, in the government and our interests. And our interests are, are the, the defense of children, number one. That is no, absolutely number one. We've got to defend the most defenseless among us. Um, number two is defend the family. And part of that means getting rid of a lot of these comprehensive sex education programs that are being rammed down our children's throats. Uh, get rid of you know, the, the, the open same-sex marriage stuff that's going on, the, the forcing people to, to have to cater to homosexuals in their businesses. Um, we need to protect religious freedom, the ability to actually practice our faith and live our faith in the public square. Um, all of these things play a part in what it means to not only be Catholic, but to live in a society. Uh, you, you have to have rules in place to do it. Our electors are supposed to implement the rules that they were elected to implement. So keep calling them, send them letters, uh, send emails, but ultimately just be persistent. So to our congressman, but what about Trump? I mean, is there anything we should be doing to reach out to him in some way? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's any way to get to the president personally. Uh, You can certainly reach out to his cabinet once they're announced and once they have uh, positions. but, you know, even, even with regard to the president of the United States, he doesn't make laws. Uh, he will sign laws that pass by his desk. And what, the reason we talk to our legislators, the reason we talk to Congress is because they are our representatives to the executive branch. So the legislative branch, they come up with the laws. The executive branch, well, executes the laws. And he, the, the executive not being a policymaker, not being a lawmaker, uh, simply decides, okay, is this a reasonable law? Is this not a reasonable law? Should I implement it this way? Should I implement it that way? He, he's not really into what the law is so much as the strategy involved in implementing it. I think uh, what, uh, what I should have said is, isn't he going to have the ability to, ele- to not elect, but appoint um, four to five Supreme Court justices. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. So that's what I was thinking was we need to lean on him with that. So what do we do? I mean, we know Trump winery is pretty close by. We could go on up there and talk to his son, you know, but other than that, I mean, don't think I won't. You know, I will. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I've already been eyeballing it and on the website and everything. But um, but what do, what do we do as far as that? Do we, you know, try to sweet talk him? You know, because that, that was one thing that I noticed on Facebook is, you know, everybody's elated, you know, in the pro-life movement that, you know, mm-hmm. we got Trump. And, and and I'll be the first to admit, I was probably the last person to jump on that Trump train because I'm just thinking, you know, I didn't even mm-hmm. want to lose my innocence to know all the naughty things that he's been saying and doing in his past or whatever. But you know what? The bottom line is, and I think one of our fellow parishioners, Chris Ferreira, um, said it best on one of his videos. And, and it was, 
you know, you know, please God, he follows through and, and really does what he is saying that he's going to do. All of the pro-life right. promises and everything, please God, yes. But even just the fact that he has brought the pro-life movement, the pro-life talk to the forefront of this election is a big deal. It's a really good thing. You know, it really brought it to to the forefront where it belongs. Life is the most important issue. You know, I I have never seen any president uh, debate, presidential debate, where one of the candidates actually described a partial birth abortion in the middle of the debate. Um, When I saw that, you know, I. I, I don't really like the guy's character. I think right. that Donald Trump is an incredibly flawed individual. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't th- I have never seen any presidential candidate who claimed to be pro-life actually describe a partial birth abortion on the national stage and accuse the Democrat of what they really are. Yeah. Someone who is going to come out and say, you want to murder babies. I have never seen that. And and he got Hillary on that absolutely 100%. He gained a lot, he earned a lot of respect from me for that one statement. Uh, it's never, as far as I can tell, it's never been done. So in that sense, yes, absolutely. I think that uh, he's somebody that we can work with and for him to have the, I don't know, the moxie right. to actually stand up and bring that kind of thing to the forefront in the middle of, of, of a very contentious um, race Right. Uh, that that takes guts. That takes that's, guts. And and I I got a lot of respect for him for that. I agree. And it's almost that loose cannon type of attitude that can sometimes get him into trouble. But yep. also, he was gutsy enough to, like you said, speak his mind and, and speak truth like that. Um, now, moving on, because I don't want to run out of time. I'm, I'm just keeping my eye on the clock. Um Let's fast forward. So we know we're going to get active. We're going to maybe we'll even see him at the March for Life because isn't he installed? Is it the 21st? Is that when uh, January 21st? 20th. 20th. And the March Mm -hmm. for Life this year is after that. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you never know. It could be. He might be marching with us. We never know. Of course, we have to worry about all the death threats and all of the ugly. So, you know, oh, yeah. that, I'm well, sure that'll very, be well, well, that's being orchestrated by George Soros and the, uh, uh, yeah. you know, the, the Black Lives Matter stuff. Now, right. one thing I will say, you know, you asked what else should we be doing? And yeah. the most important thing that we should be that we can do is to pray and fast for our leaders. We must pray and fast for our bishops, too, because I can tell you that a lot of bishops are very disappointed in the way this election went. Mm. Um, that's not going to be a very popular thing to say, but it's a true thing to say. Right. Uh, there are bishops who would have preferred to see Hillary in. Sad. It, it, it's a very sad and very terrible thing to say, but it's true. Yeah. Um, no, we know that from the movie, A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. You know, we yeah. just had, it was, you know, featured on EWTN, you know, back in the 1950s, 1100 men had entered the priesthood and were already holding, according to Bella Dodd, a communist party, yeah. you know, high ranking, high, high-ranking person um they were already holding high positions in the 50s so if anybody doesn't think that they're bishops and cardinals even today they're fooling themselves so yeah we that's that's why you have to you have to be vigilant the most the most important thing is to pray and fast for our leaders and pray and fast for our bishops if we're not doing that then no activism and no voice is going to actually accomplish any kind of good Exactly. And just like Cardinal Burke having us do the 54-day novena, you know, what a great shepherd, how he came out and asked us to do that, and we totally did it, you know. And um, no, pray and fasting, exactly. Look at look at it can move mountains. Look at what happened. This was totally a Lepanto for the United States, totally. You bet. You bet. Now, now speaking of the Lepanto Institute, you just came out with a, a new report on Catholic Relief Services here we go again. Can they ever stop? Tell us about this one. What's going okay. on? So in this report, what we discovered was that back in 2006 to 2010, uh, Catholic Relief Services was an implementing partner in a program called uh, Project Access. Um, Project Access, it was uh, getting access of medical supplies to, um, to hard-to-reach areas in the Congo. And um, one of the major... Uh, accomplishments accomplishments uh, of the program, one of its major goals was to increase the use of contraception. And in fact, the program itself introduced contraception for the very first time in the area that Catholic Relief Services was responsible for. 
what we discovered in, in inventory or in um, annual reports and uh, in quarterly reports were, were inventory reports, data sheets, showing that Catholic Relief Services had received and distributed 2.25 million units of abortifacient contraception and condoms. Hmm. Uh, now, Catholic Relief Services' response to this was, oh, well, okay, we can see how the data sheets might confuse people and make it look like we were actually involved in the distribution of contraception, but, oh, we didn't do that. It was somebody else. It was just attributed to us. Hmm. What do you yeah. mean? When, when you read the narrative, it actually talks about how CRS got extra help in making sure that they were distributing these, these uh, abortifacients properly. It even identifies that... Um, 8,000 units of Depo-Provera in the very first year of the project was sent to Catholic Relief Services coordinating office. Mm -hmm. So the office received 8,000 units of contraception. Um, and so the, the, uh, the response was, well, pay no attention. The reports don't say what you think they say. Oh, and by the way, um, it turns out that Catholic Relief Services tried pre-gaming my report before they even knew what was in it, uh, there was a letter from Archbishop Coakley that went out to all the bishops 19 days before my report was released saying, Michael Hitchborn and his Lepanto Institute are about to release a report. Um, it's probably going to be a pack of lies. So here's a prefabricated response that you can tell your supporters when you start getting asked questions about it. Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, how did he find out that you were coming out with a report? Well, because I, I made it no secret in my uh, in my newsletters saying okay. that I had damning evidence that I was going to be bringing out about Catholic Relief Services. But I didn't really tip my hand as to what I had. Right. I just said I was investigating. And then they started putting pieces together when they saw that I went on a trip to Kenya. And what's interesting about that is that um, – they obtained statements from the Kenya Conference of Catholic Bishops and from the Congo Conference of Catholic Bishops, identical statements, I mean, word for word, the same, giving support to Catholic Relief Services, saying that they do wonderful work and they, they appreciate all the work that they've done over the years. And so CRS used the statement from the Congo mm -hmm. to say, Oh well, we talked to them, and and they acknowledged that that the Lepanto Institute report was false too. Well, wait a minute, the Congolese bishops never saw my report. They never saw it, and the the statement that CRS obtained from the Congolese bishops was published, or or at least dated, uh, twelve days prior to the release of my report. So, exactly what does this statement say? Other than for CRS to say, well, we came up with a statement beforehand so that we could be, um, we could exonerate ourselves with this statement once Michael Hitchborn's report comes out. That's what it was. It was damage control. Yeah. What I mean, I mean, so this is not the first time. I mean, what what the heck is going on here? I mean, why can't this just be squelched? Is it just because they had the protection of so many bishops or cardinals or high ranking people in the church that are just making it all go away and letting them continue with their naughty agenda. I mean, what's going on? You exposed it. This is not the first time you keep exposing, you keep, mm -hmm. keep showing truth and it just keeps getting covered up. Yep. Uh, I think that what's going on is that, well, first of all, Catholic relief services is completely compromised in its personnel. Right. Uh, I found, and I did a report on this recently that 98% of Financial donations, campaign donations coming from employees of Catholic Relief Services go to pro-abortion politicians. So you draw your own conclusion. Okay. We saw actual donations coming from CRS personnel to EMILY's list, which exists only to elect pro-abortion politicians. Uh, we've seen CRS employees on their own Facebook page saying they stand with Planned Parenthood. So it's very easy to see that organization, that institution – in its employees is completely compromised. When you have something that corrupt, you look to why they might be corrupt. And the reason is that they're taking government funds. They're addicted to government money. I mean, two, no, almost three quarters of everything that they make now comes from the federal government and private grants. 
when you have an addiction to that kind of money because you've expanded once you started accepting government money, the next thing you know, the government says, well, now that you have accepted our money, we want you to participate in this project. Or if you would like to continue getting our money, you will partner with these other groups that are pro-abortion and pushing contraception and all that kind of thing. And CRS has that little caveat that says, well, we, we don't have to participate in that little section. But Pope Benedict XVI, in his motu proprio on the service of charity, made it very clear that Catholic charitable organizations are not to receive money from institutions whose agenda is against church teaching. And in fact, he even doubled down and said that uh, Catholic institutions, charitable institutions, are not to participate in projects whose ends or means include things which are against church teaching, which means project access, which is absolutely against church teaching. It was completely against church teaching from day one. Uh, should have invalidated CRS's ability to participate in, in with, it, uh, with it to begin with. But they, uh, they keep coming up with all of these, you know, weasel words and, and squirm words that, that allow them to kind of slip through the cracks and start to, you know, say, well, it's okay for us to do this because dot, dot, dot. Oh, and by the way, we're saving lives, which is the one mantra that they continue to repeat over and over and over. That's, that's the typical, the vague talk, the say enough of the truth to, to fool people while all the rest is is malarkey. Yeah. Well, and, and the taking the, uh, the federal funds and everything, I remember that with so many of the Catholic schools. They'd be dynamite schools, but then they would take like the Title I money to help yep. with the reading program or whatever. And then little by little, you see the government interfering in the schools and they lost their Catholic identity. Uh, yep. Same same type of thing. It's It's... It's ridiculous. So then as Catholics, you know, as lay people, what do we do? Well, number one, just keep contacting your bishop. Contact your bishop and tell him, look, I don't understand why you continue to support an agency or an institution that is consistently being caught doing things that are against the Catholic Church. Pray and fast for the bishops because the bishops are going to continue to listen to what CRS does unless they have the grace to know, oh, maybe I should actually look into these, these programs and reports coming out and, and take them seriously. But they don't pay any attention. They just take whatever CRS says to them. And CRS says, now nah, we looked into it. It's not true. And the bishops say, oh, okay. And they go on. Why? Because they're busy you know, actually running a diocese. Um, I don't really fault the bishops too much on this because they really don't have time to look into it on their own. I just wish that they would take the, take a moment to listen. I'm surprised. I didn't realize the motu proprio dealt with, I, I have not read the document. I always held it up as, oh, the motu proprio. If you want the Latin mass at mm -hmm. your parish, the motu proprio is, you know, that's where it's at. You just need to call upon that, you know. <laughs> so it, it does have all of that in there. That's That's good to know. How, how long no, of a document I think that a lot of that? bishops don't know what's in there, too. What was that? I what said I that? don't think a lot of bishops know what was in there, too. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah, no. Okay, why don't we go ahead and um, let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Holy Souls and Purgatory. And anyone, if you would like to call in, remember that number is 440-536-3699. Be back in a moment. Faith Life Family Wear is a faith-based crusted clothing accessory line that promotes our faith, life, family, and traditional marriage through fashion appropriate for both work and play. Shop now to look great, evangelize, and support Fiat Ministry Network. Share the good news about our website with your friends to encourage everyone to take a stand with style. Stay connected with Fiat Ministry Network. Like us on Facebook. Stay updated at fiatministrynetwork.tv slash feed. Follow us on Twitter at Fiat Ministry Net. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Fiat Ministry Network. Fiat Ministry Network encouraging all to say yes to Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us. Now, 
other than CRS, are there any other, you know, I, I always, when we see the collection basket coming around, I cringe when I hear, and, and the next collection is going, the second collection is going to be for, and I, and my mind starts racing. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? What is, what, so is there anything coming up anytime soon that we need to be Larry of? Yes. The Catholic campaign for human development collection is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Uh, and again, it, it, you mentioned earlier uh, the docudrama that was done by EWTN called A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. Mm-hmm. And that docu, it, it, it dealt specifically with Saul Alinsky and his, um, his participation in the creation of the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. Let me tell you something. Uh, the CCHD was, com- it was created specifically to fund Saul Alinsky's community organizing groups. That's the whole reason it exists. And those community, or- community organizing groups like PICO uh, are connected with George Soros. Uh, PICO is also connected with the, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, a lot of the police shootings, I've been seeing uh, some of the Black Lives Matter uh, marches taking place and the rhetoric that they're using in their marches, you know, saying, you know, hands up, don't shoot, or I can't breathe. Those are being repeated by these community organizing groups in their marches. And then they say, oh no, it, it was a peaceful protest. You know, we're not, we're not doing anything that's violent, but the people that they're getting all riled up are going out and shooting cops. Hmm. So, you know, exactly what, what is the church here funding? Yeah. Uh, they're funding agitprot groups that are doing the bidding of, of basically Marxist socialism. Um, there, there are various Catholic or uh, CCHD grantees that have been promoting abortion and contraception and homosexuality over the last seven or eight years that I've been looking into them. Um, they continue to fund these groups. There was one organization called, it, it's a whole network called Gamaliel. I caught them as a member of a coalition that was pushing same-sex marriage. And I brought this to the attention of the CCHD and the CCHD wrote back and said, oh, we talked to them about that. And they said that they actually disaffiliated with that organization because of the stance that they put with regard to same-sex marriage. They actually sent us a copy of the letter uh, from the time when they disaffiliated from that group. And I said, okay, that's very interesting. And I did a little bit more digging. And what I found was meeting minutes where this is a year after they allegedly severed ties with this one particular agency. Um, A year later, they were nominated to the executive committee of this uh, same-sex marriage pushing organization. Um, They were still participating in their, their monthly conference calls. Uh, and they were still listed as members on Gamaliel's own website, listed as members of this coalition. And so I gave this back to uh, CCHD, and I said, it looks very much like these guys are lying to you. And that's when CCHD decided that they didn't want to talk to me anymore. Oh, goodness gracious. I bet they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the movie, uh, the film, A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing, boy, I mean, that was so informative, so eye-opening, and it just really put the pieces together. But what was so disheartening was to see, you know, you're right, Hal, who was it? It was um, Cardinal Bernadine, but who was the priest um, that uh, went to Notre Dame, went on to Once Notre Dame? Jack Egan. What, what, Jack e- Egan. Egan, that's what I thought it was mm-hmm. Egan. He's the one who actually encouraged Saul Alinsky to write rules for radicals. Did you hear him? They, they said that mm-hmm. in the movie. I just, yep. it's, it's shocking that right. th- this is, and, and that's why I can't stress enough Everyone that's watching, it's so important that you choose the pastor that's going to speak truth to you. Not going to tell you what you want to hear, but it's going to tell you what's truly going to help to save your soul. Search for truth. And if you have to drive, I mean, Michael and I both know what it's like. I mean, sometimes you have to drive one or two hours to get to a holy parish, but it's well worth the drive because for yourself, for your children, you must seek truth because unfortunately there are wolves in sheep's clothing and, or shepherds, you know, clothing. And, um, and it's not pretty and they're leading the flock astray in great numbers. And, and that, that's a, a prime example right there. I mean, so when that collection basket comes around, don't put your hard earned money in there for that because it's, it's, it's horrible. That's, that's, you know, I actually, 
I have two criticisms of the uh, the documentary a Wolf in Sheep's Clothing, and they're they're minor. Um, I think that the documentary did very well in actually detailing uh, what kind of a person Saul Alinsky was and what his influence was specifically on the church. Um, but one of the things that I really wish that they had identified was that Saul Alinsky in his book Rules for Radicals actually identified how he wanted to use his community his his networks and and his um, relationships. He really stressed relationships. He said, it's so important to to develop a relationship with these Catholic priests and bishops so that you can make sure that they start to trust you and you can talk to them and they can talk to you and, you know, that you may not disagree or you may not agree on everything, but at least you can have a friendly relationship. And I have seen over and over and over, uh, I would bring all kinds of evidence about a CCHD grantee to a particular diocese, and they'd say, oh, no, we know these people. They're such good and wonderful people, and they do such good hard work. Well, that's exactly how Saul Alinsky wanted it to work. That's right. And, and well, we even things- had that saying about um, you clothe it in moral garments. I can't uh-huh. remember the, the whole quote, but, well, actually, they ended up having to cut out I think it was like an hour's worth of really meaty stuff in there. We had them on the show, as a matter of fact, Stephen Payne and Richard yeah. Payne, his dad, and um, and and they said actually, you know, just that type of thing. And it and it was that, um, you know, he buddied up with all of not only gangsters but with the clergy, most especially because he knew how to how to get the funds because he yep. was getting the money from them and how to 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 get through and and to to get to the people. And right. it Richard works. Payne. I- Richard Payne actually called me, uh, it was in June of this past year, and told me that he was working on this particular project. And he asked me all kinds of questions about the CCHD and how they work and what kinds of organizations they're granting money to. He asked me specifically, are they still giving money to organizations that are acting against the church? And I said, absolutely. And I gave him all kinds of detailed information. And he even, the reason he reached out to me, he saw the article that I wrote, uh, called the Marxist origins of the Catholic campaign for human development. Um, and in that document or, or in that uh, report, what I detailed was how the CCHD is effectively a front organization for socialist community organizing groups. Mm. Um, but you know, there was something that Solinsky said in rules for radicals. And, and I wish that they had had time to put this in, in the, um, in the docudrama, but what he said was that he, uh, when he was working in the back of the yards community organization with, with the Catholic Church, one of the things that he, he said, if I had started talking about birth control and abortion with them back then, I never would have been able to develop a relationship. But because I developed a relationship first, later on, I could talk about birth control with the Monsignor in his office, and we would joke about it. And he even gave an example. He said he was sitting there talking to the Monsignor in his office one day, and he knew that, you know, behind behind him in the uh, hallway uh, were several people waiting to see the Monsignor that the Monsignor did not like. And he opened the door and he pointed at them and he said, now do you believe in birth control? And the Monsignor had a hearty laugh at this, apparently, according to uh, Saul Alinsky in his book. Mm. But he said, if I had never developed that relationship first, I could never have had that conversation. And this is precisely what we're seeing with CCHD grantees, is that they are able to have these conversations about contraception and abortion and homosexuality, but they'll, as you pointed out, they'll wrap it and they'll couch it in certain social justice terms that make it sound almost okay or almost in line with church teaching because we want to be compassionate, right? We want to be, you know, we want to reach out and help these people. And we don't want to be mean. That's right. And that's how they, that's how they treat it. And that's how they, they handle it. And this is why the social justice warriors out there buy it. They just eat it up. I know. Yeah, no. And I, and I remember being told by a diocese that, you know, they didn't have enough funds or enough time um, to devote to the pro-life movement because all of their time and money was going to social justice. And, you know, I'll be the first one to say, yes, feed the poor. I mean, you know, I go to Panera and pick up bread, you know, to help feed the poor and help, you know, Mm -hmm. lots of people. But life is first and foremost at the beginning. Let's work on that, you know. And they wouldn't even spend 10% of their funds or time in trying to save babies. What is wrong, you know? Let's let's take it a step further and say let's stop treating charity as if it's an industry. 
Yeah. People shouldn't be getting rich to help the poor. Right. But, you know, do you know what the uh, the CEO of Catholic Relief Services makes? Half a million dollars a year to help the poor. Unbelievable. You know, how do you turn charity into an industry yeah. and then say that, you know, people like me, who is making almost nothing, right. um, is trying to fundraise off of attacking the church? That's not even close to the truth. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is help the Catholic church remain Catholic and help people who are being led down this path of false compassion. Um, you know, what can I say? I'm not well, you're holding up truth and that's the thing they take it as attack because that's yeah. the only way I mean that's the way Hillary Clinton did it too oh it's attacking you're so bad you're such a bad no we're speaking truth <laughs> right. you know of course they're going to feel attacked they're, they're going to hold it up like that because they want to make you look like the bad guy yeah oh sure sure and and of course uh yeah being as wealthy as I am I mean yeah. you know yeah here I am in my palace. I see you pull up in the rolls every every Sunday. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah absolutely. Yes, the, the the rolls that says Chevy on it. You know, <laughs> the old uh, Volkswagen Bug that has the Rolls Royce on the front. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do remember though um, that they had uh, said in the movie that if if they had just called it that the U.S. would not accept socialism or communism right out, you know, mm -hmm. flat out. But if you called it, you know liberalism or progressivism or political mm -hmm. correctness suddenly yep. it's okay it's by it what, what is the old thing about you, you put the, the the frog in the pot of boiling water and it'll jump out but if you put it in cold yeah. water and slowly turn up the heat you won't even notice that he's getting cooked that's the u.s that's the catholic church with these naughty priests cardinals bishops whomever that's what's going on. The guys that infiltrated all those years ago, Bella Dodd, we hear her voice mm -hmm. saying it in that movie, her own voice, Communist Party member in the 1950s, 1100. That's not to say how many of are in there now. That was just back right. then. So even uh, Father Mitch Pacwa even said he was even fooled into it. You know, the Jesuit priest on EWTN, yep. very good priest, but... He was even fooled. You know, he even was following the Saul Alinsky book and bought into the lie. And it's the lie. And unfortunately, when the priests buy into it, for whatever reason, um, whether, you know, personal gain, whatever the heck it is, and who really cares, they then lead the flock astray. And it's right. going to take someone like you, a big mouth like me, whenever we have that opportunity to speak truth, because that's what we're called to do as Catholics. You know, if we truly love our Lord, we're trying to bring as many souls to Christ as possible. And that's Isn't that what it. we're called to do. That's right. Yeah. So it's not easy, but it, it's the right thing to do. So, okay. So now speaking of souls, this is the month of the Holy Souls of Purgatory. And I know yep. that you went to Rome. I see you jetting all over. You're going to Kenya. You're going to Rome, Mr. You know, <laughs> flying all over the place. So you went to, which I've always wanted to go to, the Museum of the Holy Souls of Purgatory. Um, but the actual church is, what is it? Is it the Sacred Heart of the Suffrage or something? What is it called? The, yep, that's right. Okay. The, I can't, I, don't ask me to pronounce the Italian. I'll butcher it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've looked at it online. I, I have <laughs> even written to them and I tried to do the Google Translate. To, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the, uh, the Church of the Sacred Heart of Suffrage. So we're talking about the Holy Soul, the suffrage of the Holy Souls in Purgatory. And, um, it's it's a one it's a wonderful church. I think it was built in either the late 1800s or the early 1900s. Um, it's the uh, it's got neo neo gothic architecture. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, you go inside and there are all kinds of images and and uh, reflections on the suffering and the release of the holy souls in purgatory. And you know, it, one thing I, I was reflecting on this earlier, I find it fascinating that November is the month of the Holy Souls in Purgatory, and October is the month of the Rosary. So isn't it interesting and fitting that the month of the Rosary should precede the month of the Holy Souls? Because as we pray the Rosary for the release of the Holy Souls from Purgatory, they will pray for us. It's, it's right there in Scripture, and a lot of people don't really think about it in these terms. But if you... and, and I can't remember the quote, the, the, uh, the particular passage right now, but 
you know, we have the parable in scripture about the, the unjust steward where the unjust steward gets called up by the master, says, you've squandered my lands and you've squandered my wealth and you can no longer be my steward. So I'm getting ready to kick you out. So the unjust steward, he calls in all of the debt, the, the people that owe a debt to his master. And he says, quick, how much do you owe? And he says, well, I owe a hundred, a hundred units of oil. He says, here, here's your IOU, write down 50. And then he goes to somebody else and he says, how much do you owe? And he says, well, I owe him 80, you know, a hundred shekels a week. And he says, quick, write down 80. And then he goes to another one. He says, how much do you owe? And basically he keeps reducing all of their debts. And then the master calls him in and he says, um, he says, you, you were, that was very wise. I commend you for what you're doing because now you'll have some friends who will take you in uh, when you no longer have the responsibility. But the words that our, our Lord uses uh, at the very end of that parable, and I wish I had the quote in front of me because it's very, look it up, uh, look it up and read that passage because what he says makes that whole entire story all about the holy souls in purgatory because the what what you're talking about here, the master is Christ. The unjust steward is all of us. We are stewards of whatever responsibility God created us to do here on this life. And all of the debtors, the people that have no cap, no capability of paying off their debts are the souls in purgatory. Mm. And so what the steward can do is reduce the debts of the souls in purgatory through his prayers and sufferings and, you know, offerings. And then at the end of the story, he says, you know, what, what will happen at the end is, is that they will welcome you into e- eternal abodes. In other words, those that you are helping to pay their debts will t- will welcome you into the eternal abode of heaven. Right. And so, the, like I said, the whole story is actually about purgatory. It's not about, and, and this is what drives me nuts about the social justice movement, is that they take these stories and they look at it entirely on the horizontal plane, and they forget the vertical. They, they throw out the vertical, has nothing to do with the vertical. But that story really doesn't have anything to do with helping the poor, has everything to do with offering up sufferings and prayers and sacrifices for the holy souls in purgatory to try and help them get into their eternal abode faster so that when it's time for you to shed this mortal mortal coil, they'll help you to get to heaven faster as well. And, and their gratitude will be eternal. I was gonna, and as the church militant, it's our job. We are supposed Absolutely. to be praying for the holy souls in purgatory and they can't pray themselves out of purgatory. Nope. They can pray for us. Yep. But it's our job to pray for them. And and we shouldn't waste receiving Holy Communion. We should be offering up our plenary indulgences every time we receive Holy Communion, then Absolutely. we pray for the intentions of the Holy Father, our Father, Hail Mary, Glory be, Apostles' Creed, whatever, um, and go to confession. It used to be within eight days before or after, but now supposedly it's been moved to 20 days. I don't know. I always say just go eight days. You know, just I, yeah. I was just, we were just told um, 20 days. But you know, it, a lot of attention is given, especially during this month um, or, you know, through what is it, um, November 1st through the 8th. Um, people are told to be sure that, you know, that mm-hmm. we pray for the souls in purgatory, visit a cemetery and everything. But it doesn't stop. It's once November comes and goes, you shouldn't stop. You should continue to right. pray for those souls because once we die, they're going to be the ones at the pearly gates welcoming us in. All these people that we we didn't have any clue as to who they were, they're going to be thanking us, and they're praying for us while we're here on earth, going through our trials and our sufferings. It's it's yep. a, I mean, it's a win-win. You know, we pray for them. They're praying for us. It doesn't. And then in heaven. It doesn't cost us anything. No. But a few minutes. Yeah. It really doesn't cost us anything. And why and waste that plenary indulgence? That's the biggest thing. I always turn to my family or anybody that, did you offer up your plenary indulgence? Did you offer up your plenary indulgence? Don't waste it. You can't keep it for yourself. Right. I mean, you know, well, I mean, there is, you know, there's a certain time when you can do that, you know, Divine Mercy Sunday or whatever. But otherwise, the prayer, the, the plenary indulgence is not for the living. Right. Give it. Give it your family, your ancestors. I just stood up at a, at a, um, a funeral of a dear friend, John Carlo, and may he rest in peace. And, um, and you see everybody's weeping and, and I, I understand, you know, I was weeping too, but instead of just crying, I begged people 
in the funeral home there we had our our pastor was in the back hearing confessions and i begged them i said if it has been longer than eight days and for some people it had you know it had been they had been some of those big fish that hadn't been in 20 years you know i beg you to go to confession today if not for yourself which of course it's for yourself but for john carlo and then say quite simply dear lord once you receive Holy Communion tomorrow, when you go to his funeral, dear Lord, I offer up this plenary indulgence for the happy repose of the soul of John Carlo. And if he's already in heaven, believe me, it won't be wasted. Mm-hmm. Offer it yep. for, you know, all of your ancestors, your mother, your father, your grandparents, whomever. They're, they're in purgatory suffering and waiting for you to pray for them. You know, so... It's like every funeral, I'm, I'm the funeral, uh, you know, lady, always sitting there in the, in the pew, you know, <laughs> waiting to talk to people. Did you go to confession? Yeah, do you know you can help your family member? I feel like, uh, I feel like a pusher, you know, I'm like you want the watches, you know, you got, yeah, I'm, I'm the one there ready to jump in because it's just all of those indulgences just waiting to be, you know, given away, but they're just being wasted. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, in... This, it really comes back to the story of the unjust steward because for us, it doesn't cost us anything to offer up these prayers and these sufferings. And there are indulgence, there are so many indulgence acts in this life. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I have a little booklet. Um, it's, it's a little booklet on pray, you know, praying for the holy souls in purgatory. And it's filled with all sorts of indulgence acts, 355 day indulgences, you know, 200 day indulgences, 700 day indulgences. Um, that you can offer up for the holy souls in purgatory just by making a three, four minute prayer. Well, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Please save souls. We write that on the top of all of our homeschooling papers Mm -hmm. or anytime I write anything, I always put that, that can help to get a soul out of purgatory. Saying the rosary together, two or more, or as a family, even homeschooling, you can gain a plenary indulgence. I mean, there's, there's so many opportunities. It's just a matter of, just remembering it, kind of, kind of putting mm-hmm. it in your mind, or and doing some research. I can't remember the Incridium, I think it is, uh, book. Um, I don't know. I've got it, you know, and, and it tells about all the different ways to to gain indulgences, and um, right. it, you know, it's it's a, a wealth of information that we need to be doing. We need to to do that as the church militant, right. and but, hopefully, then somebody will take it upon themselves to do it for us. Right. As I've threatened my family that, you know, when I go, you better be offering up those plenary indulgences. Right, right, right. <laughs> and well, one of the things Nassus said too. Huh? One, of, one of the things that I do whenever a family member or a close friend dies, the very first thing that I do is I go to a priest and I ask for the 30 uh, Gregorian masses. That, and did you hear? I just said, and the 30 masses. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I actually just started, I guess, um, about a year ago. Um we have, you know, we'll, we'll get the, uh, the Easter water or the, um, epiphany water. We'll get it in a big jar and throughout the year, I'll use it to bless the children. I'll use it to bless the house. Um, but every night I just, I sprinkle a little bit of it on the ground in the, in the form, the form of the cross. And I ask our Lord to give refreshment and release to the Holy souls in purgatory in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Um, I, I, I imagine in my mind you know, as I'm sprinkling the holy water on the ground, that it it becomes like a torrential rainfall down there in purgatory, and it right. gives them some sort of, you know, quench that thirst. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yes. Um, I think about one of the things that I I have read in the uh, stories about the holy souls in purgatory is the the, the intense thirst that they have. Right. Uh, now it's obviously a thirst for salvation, mm-hmm. but there is a physical thirst also. Yeah. Uh, it's like the physical thirst is a manifestation of the spiritual thirst. Right. And so I love that, that imagery of being able to pour out some holy, some holy water just to try and quench that thirst on both levels. Yeah. No, that reminds me of my friend, Nina, was she, um, she's, uh, from Columbia and she blesses herself. And then, it, you know, when she comes into mass and with the holy water and she'll always make sure she's dipped her hand in there really good. And then she'd go like this. And I was like, what are you doing? Are you throwing away holy water? She's like, oh no, for the holy souls in purgatory. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. And yep. she said, because of, yeah, quenching the thirst. And, and we hear too, that, you know, they can feel the flames of hell licking their heels, um, you know, even though they are a short heaven at some point, 
You know, the suffering is great. Purgatory is no party, people. We want to go straight to heaven. But yeah, so yeah, we don't want our family and or anyone to remain in purgatory any longer than they need right. to just simply because of our laziness, you yep. know, and lack of catechesis. Have you ever read that book, Purgatory? It's No, it's I'm too chicken. Book. Yeah, I, I've seen it. Yeah, the big paperback. Yeah. It's big. No, no, chicken little right here. It's like, you know what? Okay, so- I'm chicken enough. I know enough that I need to be praying and, and we pray every day that we will go straight to heaven. Now I might be martyrdom, you know, and I'm not yeah. asking for it, but you know, I'm just saying <laughs> we pray that we want to go zoom straight to heaven. Um, right. Cause yeah, purgatory doesn't sound like a party. No, all. it's no party. It's no picnic at all. And, and and the thing is after reading that book, I, I started uh, in my daily rosary. I would ask our, I would ask our Lord to give me martyrdom because I just want that straight ticket to heaven. Right. See? <laughs> <laughs> I like, you know, take the bandaid off quickly. Don't, don't, peel it slowly just yank it right off that's right well see when when you're getting persecuted you're at least getting your white martyrdom in you know well yeah you know you are you're getting your white martyrdom yeah so it might not be the bloody one you know yeah but at least you're getting that one so well um i'm sorry to say it is nearing one hour it has been a pleasure as usual so now we need to put it down next investigation you bet. You, you got to let me know. And um, thankfully, I'm blessed to have you at Mass. I just need to go to the same na- Mass and then hit you up for you got anything new. I feel like I never see you anymore, you know? So we've got too many wonderful Masses available at St. Mm-hmm. Joseph. So anyway, well, um, again, so your website is lepantoinstitute.org. And, okay. uh, and, and it's true that he does not have a Rolls Royce. And so if you would like to go on that website, it's very informative, but most especially click his donate button, contribute, because uh, the Lepanto Institute needs all the help they can get to bring truth to the forefront, uh, to, to educate us on the things that we need to know about as Catholics, because you know, quite honestly, we, we usually are not in the know. We all get busy with our lives and we need someone like Michael to clue us in. So um, thank you for doing that, Michael. We really appreciate it. As I, I speak on behalf of all ignorant lay people um, that, you know, really just don't have a clue except for Facebook. Um, yeah, right. it's, it's a good thing that you're doing. So thank you so much. So well, thank you, Missy. Yeah. Now, how about um, we'll pray for the Holy Souls in Purgatory and most especially, um, actually, I'll say three people, Patrick Fabian's father who recently passed, um, John Carlo DeFazio, who recently passed. And then today, um, Joseph Schutzman, um, may they all rest in peace. And how about, um, we'll pray the eternal rest prayer, if you don't mind. Okay. In the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy ghost. Amen. Eternal rest grant, grant unto them, O Lord, and let your perpetual light shine upon them. May the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us. I ask that you please go to fiatministrynetwork.tv and also hit that donate button because we can't do what we do without you. And please visit our website, faithlifefamilywear.com, for your clothing and accessory needs that promote faith, life, family, and traditional marriage. And America. Notice the red, white, and blue colors. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember to always take a stand with style. God bless you and good night.